Hi, and welcome to a long overdue, but never forgotten, 14th episode of Disconnect, the Outdoor Education Podcast. I'm so happy to be back with you after all this time. If you're new around here, I'm Joël Charrière, host, writer, producer of this one-man show that began as an exploration into all the things that I love about teaching outdoor education or teaching outside in general. And then it quickly became an ongoing professional development podcast and learning community of sorts. I've had the great opportunity to speak with some truly outstanding individuals in the prior episodes, and I really look forward to continuing these types of talks, all of which were enlightening and many of which were transformative for me and my teaching. If you haven't listened to the earlier episodes, I suggest you go back and listen to them. It's not such a big catalog that you'll be overwhelmed, but the information to be gleaned from the experts with whom I've spoken is absolutely worth your time. For those who've joined me before, thanks for coming back. I'm really happy to be able to be back behind the microphone talking with you again. Since the last episode, some 11 months ago, so much has happened that forced me to step back and reevaluate so many things, uh, frankly, everything, uh, including my future in teaching. My family faced some very important medical challenges in the last 11 months that left us feeling about as low as we've ever felt in our lives, defeated, completely deflated. Rebuilding our family has been an, and continues to be an ongoing challenge that we have dedicated all of our energies toward. Only recently have I gone back to work and have we been able to look outside our immediate needs to seek any type of fulfillment, a huge step towards the life we used to know. In the meanwhile, we also welcomed a fourth child into our family, a total blessing throughout these tumultuous times that helped keep us grounded, focused on the beautiful things in life. In short, it's been busy around here. I don't want to give any more information than that out of respect for my family and some desire for privacy. But I felt it was important to give you a little bit of context so that you could appreciate just how excited I am to be able to be back behind the microphone thinking grand ideas about outdoor ed again. This 14th episode is a testament to how far my wife and I have journeyed in our own healing to be able to start doing things beyond the bare necessities again. I know why my wife will not listen to this podcast. She hears me talk enough at home to want to listen to me for the few minutes she has to herself. But nonetheless, I want to thank her and say how grateful I am to be with her, to have her as my partner. I would not have been able to navigate the past 11 months alone. And I most certainly would not have the strength that I have now, if not for her support. Thank you, Laura. If you caught the one tweet that I posted a little while back, today's episode is an essay, Ideas to Help Resurrect the Show. I hope to come back afterwards with quarterly episodes with interviews. The format of the show won't change much from what it had been. However, the frequency will. I found that my original intention to post monthly episodes was simply too much, much too time consuming. This is, after all, a passion project that I've enjoyed researching, uh, that I've, in I've enjoyed creating. Uh, it is not monetized, and it remains a hobby, and I intend to keep it this way. I probably, like you, work as a full-time teacher and have a busy household. Time is super precious. In order to not compromise on quality, to continue bringing you these meaningful talks with real experts, it takes scheduling, lots of reading, editing time, etc. You get the point. I just couldn't keep up, and after these many months of reflection on whether or not I should continue, um, among other things, doing a podcast, 
uh, I also knew that I just wasn't ready to give up. So the plan moving forward is to come out with essentially a seasonal edition, summer, fall, winter, spring. I'm notoriously bad at Twitter. Uh, I find that the thought of Twitter makes me anxious. So I'm basically only going to tweet episode alerts. If you want to reach me, the best way to reach me is still by email. I'm kind of old fashioned that way. I mean, it's not snail mail, but <laughs> you know, email. Eh. Anyways, reach out to me by email, disconnectpodcast at protonmail.com or the now shorter disconnectpodcast at proton.me. They both go to the same mailbox. I'm usually pretty quick to answer emails. I'm always just thrilled to hear from listeners uh, and I would love to hear from you. All right, well, enough housekeeping. Let's get to it. Today's essay is about why I build fires with my toddlers. Ask a kid about camping and they'll tell you about campfires. They'll tell you about roasting marshmallows, hot dogs, and smoke in their eyes. They'll tell you about the smell of burning wood, the sound of the crackling logs, the popping of sparks leaping up into the darkness of the sky, rising upward to join the stars in the night sky. They'll tell you of the beauty of dancing flames that they can't seem to look away from, that transfixes them in pure wonder and astonishment. I remember those feelings very well because I still feel them when I sit by a fire, whether it be on a warm summer night or in the dead of winter when the night stretches so long. Humans are captivated by fire. Perhaps it's because we've evolved to know that fire means safety, that it'll keep away predators at night while sleeping under the stars, or that fire means food. Open fire cooking unites us all as humans, no matter which continent, which ethnicity, we all cook over the same fire. From fire comes heat, which cooks our food, and from food comes sharing and community. Thus, the fire that cooks our food, that makes it not only delicious, but most importantly safe to eat, is the source from which we draw our shared meals and the coming together of our community. For those living in a northern climate, in the dead of winter, fire is life, and absence of fire is almost certain death. As I sit here writing this essay, a dear friend of mine who now lives far away called me out of the blue because he had just discovered Jack London's To Build a Fire, a short story, very much worth reading, which illustrates perfectly how fire is often synonymous with life. There's a common adage that says that building a fire warms you up three times. Once when you gather it, a second time when you split it, and a third time when you burn it. So much is fire akin to life that our language reflects this connection. We speak of our passions lighting the fire within us, and we say that our favorite things spark joy. In Christianity, the Holy Spirit is symbolized by fire because fire illuminates, warms, purifies, and has the ability 
to change matter from one form to another. Fire is such a powerful symbol for humans that we can't help but be drawn to it. All living things instinctively understand the raw power of fire. Animals fear it, run from it. The smell of smoke alone is enough to make my dog tremble, yet he has never been burned. This deep-rooted fear comes from thousands of generations of dogs before him that knew that fire was worth running away from. If you think way back to before the pandemic, you'll likely remember the devastation caused by immense forest fires in Australia and the impact it had on koalas. Around the same time, there were tremendously damaging wildfires in California and in Alberta, Canada. It seemed at the time like the entire planet was burning. And yet, from the ashes, there is life. Without fire, there is no succession. It takes a destructive force to allow for rebirth. In fact, certain plant and tree species known as pyrophytes require fire to complete their reproductive cycle. Our forests are shaped by fire. Sometime 1.7 to 2 million years ago, Homo erectus learnt to control fire. Since then, our relationship with fire has been a very close one. Fire has allowed us, as a species, to become what we are today. Fire cooks food, making it safer for longer, and also makes smoke, which we learned to harness also for food preservation. Along with salt, these two methods allowed humans to store food for extended periods of time, an incredible advantage over other species. Fire kept our ancient ancestors warm and likely allowed them to expand to territories that had previously been uninhabitable. Fire boiled water, making it safe to drink, and eventually, long after, boiled water was used to make steam engines. Internal combustion and internal combustion engines, which radically shaped our world, are simply the controlled harnessing of the pure energy that is fire. Our ability to control fire allowed us to thrive, but not without cost. Our dependence on fire and combustion as a source of energy has become a progress trap of sorts. It allowed us to change the world at a pace never before seen and the possibilities seemed endless. It is only now that we realize that there is no free lunch and that perhaps we don't control fire and that the fire might very well be burning out of control. But if we zoom way out, we'll see that the giver of life is still fire. The most important source of energy on our planet is our beloved ball of fire at the center of our galaxy. Every second, the sun pounds the earth with enough energy to power all of humanity's energy needs for an entire year. We just don't know how to harness it, capture it, and store it yet. Fire was the beginning of our journey, but it's also the future of our journey. 
so strong is our adoration of fire that we dedicate rooms in our homes to it. In our hearth rooms with glowing fireplaces, we drink hot beverages and reminisce. We dedicate entire evenings while camping to building and watching fire. On weekends, we might buy firewood and have bonfires, not for heat or survival, but just for pleasure with friends or family. Fire is a part of the human experience. I've always built fires with my kids, starting when they were about 18 months old. When I say that I built fires with them, I mean that I engage them in the act of building the fire. That is carrying wood, laying down the kindling and the tinder, building the little log cabin that we will eventually burn. And just like my dog has an innate fear of fire, I found that my children have an innate appreciation and respect for fire and the process of building one. With proper supervision and guidance, my toddlers have all taken part in a ritual as old as humanity itself. Through the process, they connect with their ancestors via movements and knowledge etched into their genetic code, passed on from generation to generation to generation. The look of awe on their face when the flames begin growing kindles in my own self a sense of accomplishment, as though I finally completed one of my many raisons d'être. As the flames dance higher and higher, the look of awe transforms to a peaceful serenity and an air of respect. Nobody knows your children like you do, and you know when you look in their eyes what they're saying, even if they don't have words to say it. In that moment, when I look into my toddler's eyes, I know that they understand. They understand the power of fire, the life-giving force that it is, as well as the raw destruction that it's capable of. There's an understanding far deeper and infinitely wiser than their one and a half years. An understanding passed down through the core of their being and one that requires no teaching. This is why I built fires with my toddlers. It allows me to be a witness to a child's discovery of the very thing that gives life. It's like a rebirth every time. Thanks for listening to my essay on why I build fires with my toddlers. Now, don't be mistaken. It's not like I just go out there and, you know, throw a bunch of sticks together and let them play around. Fire is dangerous. Of course it's dangerous. Uh, you have to respect it. So if you're going to go out and build fires with your toddlers, you know, do the right thing. You've, you know your parental instinct will tell you what to do, what not to do. Of course, it takes a tremendous amount of supervision but the result is worth it. I promise you uh, that they are old enough to appreciate and understand the process, to know what's going on. And it's a really beautiful thing to get them started that young, to instill those memories. Um, you know, please go ahead and give it a shot. But, you know, just a disclaimer that the essay 
makes it sound less hands-on than it really is. It's a lot of work. <laughs> if you work with kids, you know how much work it is to, to keep them all focused and on task. But um, it, is, it is amazing. Thank you again. Um, this is the rebirth in, in a way of the Disconnect uh, podcast, which I'm, I'm considering rebranding as simply Outdoor Edcast. That's my Twitter handle, at Outdoor Edcast. So subscribe if you want to keep track of when the episodes are going to drop. Um, thanks for coming back. If you're new, thank you for tuning in and I'll see you next time. This was the spring 2022 edition. I'll see you again in the summer. See ya.